half a day, and welcome to another episode of Live Till 5, 3.06 p.m. on Friday, April 28th, if you're listening to the live broadcast. My name's Jared Baldwin, I'm your host of Live Till 5. This is episode 213, we've done this 212 times before this, 213, the next two hours of live local talk and variety programming. Broadcasting high atop the campus of Harvest Ministries from the worldwide headquarters of Harvest Family Radio. Half a day to you on this cloudy Friday afternoon. Maybe you're listening on the car stereo. We're way down at the bottom, the left-hand side of the, the dial. Program button number one to 88.1 FM. Matter of fact, you can program all of them to 88.1 FM if you like. Maybe you're listening on your computer through khmg.org. We have a number of different ways you can listen there, including our live stream. You can listen to our podcast as well and download them from khmg.org and listen to the show in its entirety at your leisure. However you're listening to us, wherever you're listening to us, we're glad you're with us. Some of you are still at work. Some are at your desks. Some are in the car, taking the kids home from school or on your way to practice running some errands before the weekend. Some of you might even be headed home to get changed to come back to Harvest Christian Academy so you can attend the Spring Orchestra Concert. The Spring Orchestra Concert tonight, Friday, April 28, 2017. It looks like it's going to be a great time. Beginning at 7 p.m., I would arrive as early as possible. It's going to be in the Harvest Auditorium. Beginning Orchestra, Intermediate Orchestra 1 and 2. Let's see here. I'm looking at the program as we speak. High School String Orchestra. And then the Symphony Orchestra as the Pièce de la Vizensance. That's going to be the big uh, grand finale tonight, Friday, April 28th, 7 p.m. in the Harvest Auditorium come to the Harvest Christian Academy Spring Orchestra Concert. It's going to be a great time. Free admission. Great way to spend your Friday evening. It's beautiful music. Kelly Schlarb at the helm in the director's chair. So we would love to have you attend that event. And we are glad you're with us right now. 3.09 p.m. on Friday, April 28th. Let us know you're listening. Go to our Harvest Family Radio Facebook page. Give us a little thumbs up. Follow us. Leave us a comment. Maybe send us a private message with some suggestions for the show. Then go back over to khmg.org and check out all the other local programs that we create and and produce and distribute through our website, khmg.org, right there. So Building Great Leaders and Take Note and Heart of Harvest, and all these other great programs, Living Redemptively with Dr. Doug McLaughlin. We have a number of great programs on there that you can download the podcast. This is kind of our lighthearted podcast of the week. This is our lighthearted broadcast of the week, this Live Till 5. And again, as I said earlier, episode 213. In a few minutes, we're going to be playing What's in My Coffee, where we, as the cast of the show, enjoy some free drinks from The Hub, and we describe them to you without us knowing exactly what the drinks are. We have our suspicions, but we don't know until after we've described them. Then we have a big reveal. And the hub, by the way, in the mornings is selling malasadas from Daddy's Donut Shop. 
They are really good. You can get a hot malasada, one hot malasada with cinnamon sugar on it, and a cup of coffee for three bucks. You can get an additional malasada for a dollar. You can get another additional one for another dollar. So three malasadas and a large cup of coffee for five bucks. That right there, my friends, is a great way to start your day. And the proceeds from all the food and drink sales in the hub have always, since day one, gone to missions. Everything above and beyond our costs to operate the coffee shop goes to missions projects, humanitarian projects, things here in Micronesia and the Philippines, typhoon relief, uh, building churches and schools and buying buses and vans and sending people on medical, medical trips and things like that. Those projects have been funded by the proceeds of the hub. And so that's why it's called Hebrews Worldwide Coffee Shop and Bookstore. We wanted to tie in the worldwide part because the proceeds go to that. It's, I believe, one of the only places I've ever heard of that does things quite like that. And uh, last year, I believe we gave over $20,000 from the proceeds of the hub to missions projects. And we're on track this year to do the same. And with the sale of Malasadas, we're hoping that'll go up and we'll be able to send even more money to help our friends that are out there on the mission fields with their schools and their churches and and with uh, seminaries and things like that and typhoon relief. So we have those monies there available to do that and distribute. So hot malasadas, one for one fifty, two for two fifty. The combo coffee and a malasada for three bucks, an additional malasada dollar each. So there you go. You can get twenty malasadas and a cup of coffee, twenty one malasadas and a cup of coffee for twenty three dollars. There you go. It's not a bad deal at all. Now, it is the month of April. I'm going to read through some of the April observances, and we're going to take a break for Harvest Highlights. This month is Library Snapshot Month. This is provided, by the way, by Bob the Librarian, our friendly neighborhood librarian. Listening Awareness, Mathematics Education, Month of the Military Child, Month of the Young Child, Multicultural Communication, National Anxiety Month, National BLT, Bacon, Lettuce, Tomato, Sandwich Month. You know, my grandma used to make those. They were really good on toasted bread, and she'd use like real Hellman's mayo. Mm-mm, very good. Crisp, crisp tomatoes, which I haven't had one of those since I've lived on this island. National Decorating Month, Distracted Driving Awareness Month. National Frog, Food, Garden, Garlic, Greyhound Adoption, Grilled Cheese, Heartworm Awareness, Humor, Kite, Knuckles Down, Landscape Architecture, and Minority Health Month, uh, along with many other observances like poetry, safe digging, uh, let's see here, what else we have, prevention of Lyme disease, parliamentary law, occupational therapy, youth sports, safety, straw hat, stress awareness, workplace conflict awareness, world habitat awareness, all happening this month of April, as we wrap up the month, it is the 28th today, if you're listening to the live broadcast. Now, we're ending the week of Administrative Professionals Week, and I want to say a personal thank you to all the administrative professionals that help keep Harvest Ministries going. They are really the ones that do all the heavy lifting. Many of us just get to reap the benefits of all their hard work. So thank you, Administrative Professionals, also known as Secretaries, also known as Admin Assistants. Air Quality Awareness Week is ending tomorrow. Also, it's American Quilter Society Week. So, Betty Ann Lovemo, there you go. Shout out. Bed Bug Awareness Week. I have no shout out for that one. Christian Education Week. 
Every Kid Healthy Week, Holocaust Remembrance Week is ending this weekend, Money Smart Week, National and Global Youth Service Days, National Dance Week is ending this weekend, National Dream Hotline, National Environmental Education Week is ending this week, National Infants Immunization Week is ending this weekend. Let's see, National Medical Laboratory Professionals Week ends tomorrow. National Playground Safety Week ends tomorrow. World Immunization Week ends on Sunday. Sky Awareness Week and Spring Astronomy Week all end tomorrow. And then finally, as far as observances go, we are down to the last couple days of the month. But today is Arbor Day. How many of you celebrate Arbor Day? You know, when I was a kid, public schools, we celebrated Arbor Day. I think it has to do with planting trees so that we, we never run out of uh, forests. Arbor Day is today. Great Poetry Reading Day. Hairball Awareness Day. Kind of a minor observance there. Kiss Your Mate Day. National Blueberry Pie Day. Hey, if my mate gives me a blueberry pie, I promise I will kiss her. Actually, I don't even need a blueberry pie to kiss her. I would just do it anyway. National Bulldogs Are Beautiful Day. National Teach Children to Save Day. Workers Memorial Day. World Day for Safety and Health at Work. That's all today, the 28th. Saturday, the 29th, is Astronomy Day, Confederate Memorial Day in Mississippi, National Kiss of Hope Day, National Sense of Smell Day, World Day for Animals and Laboratories, Shrimp Scampi Day, and World Veterinary Day. And then finally, on Sunday, the last day of the month, is uh, Bugs Bunny Day, uh, Honesty Day, International Jazz Day, Mother Father Deaf Day, National Adopt a Shelter Pet Day, and National Animal Advocacy Day. So there you go. Got a lot of things happening in April as we wrap up the month. Now, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to listen to a little Harvest Highlights. So stick around. You're listening to Live Till 5 here on KHMG 88.1 FM, Harvest Family Radio. I'm Jared Baldwin, episode 213 on Friday, April 28th, 316 p.m. Stick around for a little Harvest Highlights, and then we'll be back with more Live Till 5. back with a little more live till five on this friday april 28th 3 24 p.m here at the worldwide headquarters of harvest family radio it's actually 3 24 p.m everywhere on island and in many other places as well maybe you're listening on saturday and you're saying it's not 3 24 p.m it's 12 24 p.m yes you're correct that is because we rebroadcast the show on saturday afternoons from noon to two we also rebroadcast the show in its entirety from 7 to 9 p.m. on Sunday nights. We do that on purpose so you can catch us on the rebound as you 
are driving about on the weekend, heading home from church on Sunday nights, you can catch a little bit of the show as well. So, Saturdays noon to 2, Sunday nights from 7 to 9 p.m. Catch us on The Rebound, where we rebroadcast the show in its entirety, all two hours, straight through, here on 88.1 FM. Or you can listen to the show in its entirety, at your leisure. From our website, you can download the podcast on khmg.org. Go there. Number of different ways you can listen to the show that way. And listen to everything else that we produce here at Harvest Family Radio. A lot of good programs available there. Now, we are glad you're with us this afternoon. It's Friday, April 28th on this kind of cloudy Friday afternoon. And uh, boy, that bumper music went quiet. Just Oh, there you go. The Colonel Bogey March from uh, Bridge on the River Quiet. I didn't realize it had this uh, pregnated pause right there in the middle. So it was like, uh, I thought maybe something happened to the board, but it didn't. And then I drew a bunch of attention to it by talking about it. There you go. If you like this kind of music, they're going to be having a an orchestra concert, the Spring Orchestra Concert here at Harvest Christian Academy tonight. Beginner, intermediate... And high school orchestras, plus the symphony, a lot of stringed instruments from what I've learned, will be performing at this free concert here at the Harvest Auditorium tonight. A lot of parents will be there. A lot of students will be there. It'll be a great time. So I encourage you to come. Some of the best music you'll ever hear on island will be performed tonight at the Harvest Auditorium. So check us out, 7 o'clock, free admission. And a great time, great way to have a little family time on a Friday night as well. And uh, a lot of fun. So it is, oh, I just clapped my hands too. Friday, April 28th, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, some some of my favorite things that I do on this show. One of the first things I incorporated to the show, before we ever started the show, when I was actually in denial that we were going to do this show, and I was like, I don't think I'll ever be able to do this, too much preparation, and then I was nudged to uh, try it, Stranger Than Fiction where I come across stories that they just seem too weird to be true or the title kind of catches me funny or they're enraging. It's just so strange and it's like you can't make this stuff up. And so Stranger Than Fiction is one of the things we've been doing ever since the beginning. Uh, The idiom game. We started out playing a game where we had to guess idioms and that's kind of morphed into where I go through a bunch of idioms and figures of speech and tell you the origins and things like that. Some people really enjoy that. The Buck Stops Here, which are quotes from people in recent uh, history, no ancient history there. Then our topic of the day, sometimes there'll be something that just is standing out in the news or it's a, it's just a theme that we're going to have. And then, of course, we have our uh, What's in My Coffee, which we've been doing ever since the beginning as well. And it's kind of our scheme to get free drinks for all the people that come on the show because we don't pay them to do it. They just come up, so we pay them with drinks. And uh, But it's a way for us to promo some of the drinks that are being produced down in the coffee shop, which is two stories directly below us. So what I want to do right now, though, is, of course, go back to one of those segments I was talking about. It's one of my favorite segments. It's a younger segment of the show, newer, more recent. It's called The Buck Stops Here. Words of wisdom from the desks and walls of many a successful person, including but not limited to... Politicians, scholars, professors, theologians, leaders of all kinds, including barons of industry. This quote on this person's desk is probably at least the person who owns the desk, sits at the desk at least, is no stranger to you. 
senior United States Senator from Arizona, John McCain, Republican nominee previously for the United States presidency, retired from the Navy as a captain in 1981, moved to Arizona and entered politics, elected to the U.S. House of Representatives in 82, served two terms, then was elected to the U.S. Senate in 1986, winning re-election easily in 92, 98, and 2004. While generally adhering to conservative principles, he at times has had media reputation as a maverick for having disagreed with his party. McCain has consistently opposed pork barrel spending by Congress and actively supported Line Item Veto Act of 1996, which gave the president power to veto individual spending items. The sign on his desk is inscribed with a quotation by Booker T. Washington. And the sign says, I have learned that success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles which he has had to overcome while trying to succeed. That's Senator John McCain. And that is The Buck Stops Here. Always interesting to see what leaders, thinkers have on their desks to motivate them. Whether I agree with the person or even the quote itself, it's just interesting to hear what what they look at every day for inspiration. You know, I've had different signs on my desk. I had a like a, a glass or plastic cover on my desk for a while, and I had a sticky note with the names of the kids of a large family that were coming to our church because I didn't want to forget their names. And I looked at that piece of paper for years, maybe it had to be multiple years, three to five years. And I have those kids' names burned in my brain in chronological order because I just didn't want to forget their names when I saw them because there were so many kids in the family, it would have been easy to forget their names. And a few of the names were kind of not your average ordinary household names that uh, that I had heard before. So I wanted to make sure I had those correct as well. So anyway, that's what I had on my desk. I've had other things there as well, verse cards, things like that. I've got a I actually have a sign on my wall that says the buck stops here, but it's kind of a, a play on words because it does have a picture of a buck, deer, and bullet holes all around his head, and then it says the buck stops here. Anyway, it's a magnetic bulletin board. Here are some idioms from the Dictionary of Idioms by Marvin Turban. More than 700 sayings and expressions in this scholastic book provided to us by faithful listener P.C. She is an idiom lover, and she passes this love onto the children in her classes. PC provided us this book. And the reason I do idioms is because we do have some people that English is not their first language. They've heard phrases, but they don't know what they mean. Many of us say things, we know what they mean, but we don't know where it came from. So I am here to enlighten you. This is the educational portion of the show. And it's reading month, so listen up closely. Put your foot down. Versions of this expression started in the 1500s, but it became popular in the 1800s. Stomping your foot down to get someone's attention sometimes expresses a strong position or demand. If you state a rule and expect someone to obey it, you've put your foot down to be firm or rigid about something. Put your foot in your mouth. I'm very familiar with this phrase. The saying was first used in the late 1800s and early 1900s. The saying must have been suggested by the foot and mouth disease, a serious infection, infectious sickness that affects cattle, sheep, pigs, and goats. But today, this expression has nothing to do with the disease. A baby can easily put her foot in her mouth, 
but older people can't do it unless they're contortionists. It's a good thing, too, because they look pretty ridiculous. We use this expression when someone makes a verbal blunder by saying what he should not say just when he should not say it. So if you tell your friend that the cake had made you sick without knowing that he had baked it, you put your foot in your mouth. Of course, if your foot were really in your mouth, you couldn't say the foolish things to begin with, and that would be good. So putting your foot in your mouth means to get in trouble for saying the wrong thing at the wrong time to the wrong person, often without realizing it. Put your money where your mouth is. Since the 1930s, people in the United States have been challenging other people with this expression. Mouth represents talk. Money represents action and investing. It's a way of saying that you should back up your words with action, often a bet or an investment of money, to prove that you really believe what you're saying. A ruder version is put up or shut up, but it does mean to be willing to bet or invest your money in something you support or believe in. Put your shoulder to the wheel. This idiom first appeared in the 1600s. The writer who thought it up imagined a wagon stuck in the mud. Imagine Jean Valjean helping the cart out of the mud. Remember that? He got underneath it and lifted it up in Les Miserables, and they, the guy was drug out and saved from underneath the uh, wagon that had fallen on him. Anyway, put your shoulder to the wheel. Starting in the 1700s, the saying include any kind of hard labor necessary to accomplish a task. It means to make a great effort to begin to work hard. How about this? This is two letters. Q-T. Now, this is not a, one of my favorite gas station chains in the States, Quick Trip. This is uh, sometimes an abbreviated word. Uh, can use, of course, the first letter and the last letters. For example, standard post office abbreviation in Maryland is MD. Maryland, MD. Kentucky's KY. In 1870, it was a popular ballad called The Talkative Man from Poplar. In one of the lines, the word quiet is shortened to QT. Some people think this abbreviation could have been used in earlier writings, but after 1870, on the QT became a common phrase for keep it quiet. So QT, like keep it on the QT, means keep it quiet or secret. Give you a couple more here. Quick on the draw. In the American West, the mid-1800s, many gunslingers prided themselves on how fast they could draw their pistols from their holsters and shoot. The idea of a quick draw caught on and was transferred to any kind of fast action, physical or mental, such as responding quickly, answering questions rapidly, or solving problems swiftly. Quick on the trigger or quick on the uptake are also similar phrases. It means just to be ready or alert, quick on the draw. Quiet as a mouse. We have three more here. There are many similes in English that use animal traits such as sly as a fox or wise as an owl. Quiet as a mouse goes back to the late 1500s. Mice are quiet little animals and scurry almost noiselessly in search for food, especially in the dark at night. It means to be still or silent, quiet as a mouse. Rain check. Rain checks were first used at baseball games in the 1800s. That's when the phrase became popular. And if the game was rained out, you took your rain check ticket and used it to get into a future game at no extra cost. A rain check is a ticket stub allowing attendance at a future event in place of the one that was canceled. And then finally, rain on your parade. This idiom has been around since the early 1900s. Picture this, a big parade with marching bands, elaborate floats, gaily costumed people. Then the heavens open up and torrential downpour ruins the parade and everyone's good time. 
The bands are drenched, the floats are soaked, the people have to run for cover. The happy event is spoiled. Now imagine that parade stands for any special event, like a wedding, a party, or a picnic. And the rain stands for any unfortunate event, like the groom breaking his leg skiing on the day before the wedding. Anyway, rain on your parade. To spoil someone's day, performance, special occasion, celebration, or plans. And those are our idioms for today. For the day. There you go. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to play What's in My Coffee. We're also going to at least offer one Stranger Than Fiction article that I came across today. So stick around. I'm Jared Baldwin, your host of Live Till 5 here on KHMG 88.1 FM, Harvest Family Radio. It's Friday afternoon, April 28th, 3.37 p.m. If you're listening to the live broadcast, find us on khmg.org for the full podcast. Listen to us on the weekend, noon to 2, Saturday, 7 to 9 p.m. as we rebroadcast the entire show. And stick around for more Live Till 5 after this short break. With a little more live till 5, it's 3.43 p.m. on Friday, April 28th. Glad to have you with us. We were talking about idioms right before we went to the break. And Chris's parents use idioms. Yeah. Some that I've heard and some that I haven't. So your dad would say the one about your head. What was that one? He said, uh, why don't you use your head for something other than a hat rack? Yes. I Now, yeah. I have heard that and maybe even someone might have said that to me right but what is the one uh you had two actually your mom said what what, what was well the... the one the one that i i thought of as you were talking about idioms is that she would say like i i just remember she got uh, once in a while uh she would get like a treat like uh, chocolates or something and i would say you know i wanted some of those and she would say i'll tell you what you're gonna get you're gonna get what patty shot at and missed yeah, yeah. And, and I, it makes perfect sense, but I can honestly say I've never heard that in my whole life. What Patty yeah. shot at and missed. Yeah, and I would say, I, of course, I I figured it was Patty never missed, right? Uh-huh. So, sure. So it was nothing. You right. get nothing. Right, right. But uh, I didn't know the... So I've uh, over the years, I have probably Googled this a dozen times. Yes, and you sort of always get a little bit different answers. Yes. Seems like to me it's evolved over the years. So the first story I remember hearing about this is that there was somebody named Patty in some sort of Wild West show okay. or something that could shoot everything. Right. You know? And so the theory is that since Patty can shoot everything, right. that if you get what Patty shot at and missed, it's nothing. Right, right. But then I look online and there are all manner of origin stories about... See, Different I was things. thinking more of, I think, where you're headed with this, with the Irish origin. Right. 
because the paddy wagon, I know, is a it was kind of a derogatory term for rounding up Irish immigrants right. that were like hoodlums, which I think hoodlum is even an Irish uh, term. And they would round them up, you know, in the Boston, New York area and stuff like that. So a paddy right. wagon was basically a police truck that would round up a bunch of Irish immigrants. Right. So what Paddy shot at and missed, I was thinking maybe more like a Irish police officer, you know? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. And it, Paddy O'Brien. There's also people also say that it's not only what Paddy shot at and missed. It's that apparently people shorted, short, shorten it to what Paddy shot at. Okay. So that's a totally different what, meaning. You know, we have one Irish... American, Irish, Australian, American listening to the show right now because he's texting me all this crazy stuff. And I wonder if he has ever heard of what Paddy shot at and missed, if that was something they said back in Ireland. Well, there's a post here from Australia, okay. oddly enough, yes. okay. that says that this has negative uh, uh, overtones okay. to it, which would lend itself to your theory that the name Paddy is P-A-D-D-Y, which is an Irish name. And so... Uh, they're talking about what Patty shot at, but there's there's nothing definitive. I haven't found anything that really tells me the absolute meaning okay. of this. Um, but I, I'm trying to think of what the other one was. Didn't I tell you another yes, one? Yes, it, it had to do it with was, liver pills. Oh yeah, you've got more excuses. So if you'd make an excuse why you didn't get your homework done or something, my mom would say uh, you've got more excuses than Carter had little liver pills. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! You know, it's uh, your mom sounds like a great person. I wish we could get her on the radio. She, we, we should. Sometimes. She could just. We could do an she would idiom. Never do it though, Mrs. She would Harper's never do idioms. It, she would never do so it. So you didn't get your love for public broadcasting uh, or, or or public communication uh, from her. Like oh, she's no, not a public mom, speaker at all. Not a public speaker, but she's a speaker. I mean, yeah. she she privately speaks. Although. You know, they've done a lot of TVs and sh- TV shows and things over the years doing yeah. uh, uh, all their foster, foster parenting yeah. stuff. Yeah. But but she's not really a, a speaker in that yeah. sense. Well, and she's uh, she's a little older, right? Your mom, how old is she? Well, she's um, in her late 70s. Late 70s. So yeah. the generational difference, some of these uh, idioms yeah. are really, they're kind of vanishing. Unless you watch old black and white movies and you and you hear you know uh topper one of those type, right. you know the thin man series you know some of these old radio broadcasts yeah. we've heard of you know they use some of these old phrases that we just don't use anymore the the other one i just thought of as you were saying this and she she would say what in the cat here are you doing what in the cat here are you guys up to Okay. Yeah. Ne- I, now, I don't think I've heard that I've heard, heard that other people say that yeah. in Washington. Now, I'm from Washington. State, sure, sure. And she grew up in Washington. Mm-hmm. But I heard other people in Washington say the same thing. What in the cat here are you doing? What in the cat here are you doing? Hmm. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's another weird one is that you just think to yourself, where did this come from? And what does that mean? Yeah. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Well, my parents use idioms like, I'll give you something to cry about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, I've heard that one. I've heard that one as well. That's a a popular idiom around our house. I'll give you something to cry about. They said it with love and affection, I'm sure. (laughs) I do remember those. Yeah, I I need to Google the what in the cat here. Yes, yes. Find find the answer to that while I uh, review uh, two Stranger Than Fiction stories. Uh, for our listening audience, number one, this one really caught my eye. 
which is probably an idiom in itself. Uh, and it was from Mental Floss. It was a question. Can one take the oath of office on anything other than re- a religious article? And the answer comes from Quora, which is kind of a... It's kind of like Google, but it's specifically for questions, and I, I think they're independently verified, but, you know, Mental Floss is publishing it, so, you know, I, I consider that a sec- second source of second source of verification there. I think what's happening is the uh, the it's pulling hard on the... Uh you yes. need to give it some slack there from the back first. There we go. Yeah, we, All right. we, we got the, uh, the, the cord to the microphone pulled yes. too tight. And yes. It's pulled out of the back of the microphone. Yep. It's, it's, it's actually a microcosm of my whole life. You know, <laughs> my cords are pulled too tight, and eventually I just stop broadcasting. Anyway, back to the question at hand. Can one take the oath of office on anything other than a religious article? The answer is several presidents, including Teddy Roosevelt, used law literature in the swearing-in simply to emphasize that it's not a religious test of any kind. Technically, you don't need to use anything. You could do it empty-handed, nor does anyone need to administer the oath to the president. The Constitution really says very little about it other than the words. It doesn't even say you're not president until you take the oath, merely that you take it as oath or affirmation once you are. In theory, you could wait. Lyndon B. Johnson, for example, was in such a tearing hurry that he took the oath before leaving Dallas after John F. Kennedy was killed. Most scholars agree he jumped the gun, just as he did by jumping on and crowding JFK's jet when he himself had the identical one and went home. it went home empty, especially since any jet carrying the president is Air Force One. So, anyway, the presidents do not have to swear the oath of office on a bible did you find something about the cat here uh i don't know how to spell it is it c-a-t and then space and then here i don't know i'm gonna have to ask my mom about that one what is that what is what is she talking about yeah. there yeah i don't know i i all i know is i heard it a lot and i don't know what it means although one time i, I have to say i was telling somebody uh it, i think this happened to you with australian phrases yes as well but one time i said Oh, I think growing up, some guy I knew said this, and they're like, "Whoa, don't say that. That's, that's bad. That's yeah." You know, this did go, happen. Oh, yes, that is? did happen to me. Oh, it is. I had yes. no idea. I was quoting the so, crocodile hunter, and right. uh, then yeah. my friend, who's an Australian missionary, blushed. Yes. And he said, "Please don't say that." So I said it again because I thought it was funny, and then he blushed even worse. He's like, "No, seriously." Don't say that. That is actually a curse word in Australia. Like, <laughs> okay. Whoops. Yeah, this was similar to that. Although yeah. it wasn't a curse word, it's sort of what people substitute right, for right, a curse right. word. Yeah, I think that's kind and of. Then, yeah. And then I, I realized, oh, okay, that's what that means. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. yeah, whoops. Well, uh, speaking of international things here, um, Chris really likes the Iditarod. Personally, I really like long races, marathons, ultra marathons, you know, cross country, things like that. Um, where people run, you know, across the Sahara desert or they run across America, things like that. The the marathons definitely are very interesting to me. And I had mentioned the Boston marathon last week. Well, um, this last year I was looking back at the, uh, London marathon from this last year. And there are a number of things. I think the London Marathon just happened again. They had some new world records. But there's all these different um, uh, marathon world records. So because the uh, London Marathon uh, had all these 
special world records broken. I just pulled up a list of different Guinness world records that were broken at the London Marathon. Um, let's see here. Uh, let's see. Fastest marathon dresses a plant. Um, these are all things that happen at the London Marathon. So someone ran it, dresses a plant. Someone r- ran it and has the the new Guinness record for uh, a male in a nurse's uniform. Um, fastest marathon in a film character's costume. A male dressed like Elsa from Frozen. Fastest marathon uh, dressed in full-body dinosaur outfit. Fastest marathon dressed like a book character, uh, Tinkerbell. Uh, fastest marathon in an animal costume, uh, female, dressed like a tortoise. She did in three hours and 15 minutes. That's super fast. Dressed like a circuit strongman, uh, like a mascot, like an elf. In Highland dress, that would be very interesting. You don't see that every day. I don't think you'd ever see that at the Guam Marathon. Fastest marathon dressed in Highland dress, like a Scottish Scottish dress. Fastest marathon dressed like a crustacean, like the gingerbread man. Uh, let's see here. In a graduation gown, uh, as a film actor, again, uh, Tinkerbell. Um, let's see here. Fast food item, someone dressed like a hot dog. Uh, Ghillie suit, that's one of those uh, sniper suits that looks like weeds and, and uh, grass. Uh, dressed like a chef, four hours and seven minutes. I think that's still fast enough to qualify for the Boston Marathon. Two-person costume, a horse and a jockey. Uh, let's see, full-body animal costume, someone dressed like a polar bear. Four-legged marathon, wearing chain mail costume, uh, the four-person costume, a fire engine. They did it in five hours and 25 minutes. So four people dressed like a fire engine ran their marathon quicker than I ran mine. Uh, wearing an 80-pound pack, five hours and 43 minutes. That's almost exactly how long it took me. So if I lost 80 pounds, I'd be quicker than them. Um, fastest marathon carrying a 100-pound pack, seven hours and 47 minutes. That's pretty impressive. A lot of marathon records at the so London Marathon. My nephew has done these 100-mile races. Yes, ultras. 100 yes. Mile? Yep. And then, and then he, he talked about doing what I believe is a 1,000-mile race. Have you have you heard about this? They, yeah. Like in the desert in Australia or something? Yeah, there's there are a couple of these where um, there's one in the Sahara, there's one in South America where okay. they they'll run literally across a country, for right, example. Right. And um, it's a it's a endurance. It's not even really a a race as much as it's more of a. a uh, an event like a lifetime event kind of right. like climbing mount everest the, these guys will run i have a documentary i had read about years ago and then the documentary came out on hulu or netflix about running across the sahara and these guys ran all the way from the coast all the way across the sahara desert to the right. other coast they had to get all kinds of special permission and things like that and um the way the thing that really was the worst part about it they told us what, that they tell you in the article is that we really didn't um, get tired of running. They got tired of being around each other. That was the worst part. So now I'm going to give you a few more numbers here. And uh, let's see here. We have numbers. This is some of our Stranger Than Fiction as we wrap up the hour. And we'll take a short break. And then um, let's see here. $870 million is the revenue of ISIS in 2016, estimated by the King's College London International Center for Studies. I know some of you are listening to a little bit of staticky signal right now. We're going to work on that at the top of the hour here. But I'm going to wrap up the hour with this. 15%, the reduction in the number of community banks since 2010. 
30 pounds, the amount of edible gold dust, among other delicacies, on hand to quash the appetites of the Academy Awards 1,500 celebrity guests in February. 140% the stock increase for Core Civic, one of the nation's largest private prison operators. And $12.58 trillion is the U.S. household debt in the fourth quarter of last year, just short of the record level reached during the 2008 financial crisis. Now, of course, I want to invite you to come back for the second hour of Live Till 5. And again, if you're hearing a little bit of a staticky signal, just be patient with us. We will uh, get it, of course, all reconciled and figured out. So during the news, we'll be be making it better for you. So you're listening to Live Till 5 here on KHMG 88.1 FM, Harvest Family Radio here in Barragata, Guam. Stick around for a second hour of Live Till 5 after we take this short break for the news.
And we're back with a little more live till 5. It's 4.07 p.m. on Friday, April 28th. Now, we are experiencing some technical difficulties. A few of them are self-inflicted, like me missing the top of the hour break. But uh, Guam Power Authority, according to the Pacific Daily News just a few minutes ago, stated that everyone should have power back by 5 p.m. after Cabris 1 took itself off the grid this afternoon. So there's a power problem at the Cabris 1 power plant, and it's affecting power across the island, including our transmitter site, I believe. So we have people listening live online right now. Everyone else can be listening to the rebroadcast or the podcast later on. Hopefully we'll be back on the air, transmitting across the airwaves here very soon. I'm Jared Baldwin, your host of Live Till 5. It's Friday, April 28th, 4.07 p.m. Broadcasting high atop the campus of Harvest Ministries from the worldwide headquarters of Harvest Family Radio, 88.1 FM, KHMG. Been on the air for over 21 years. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Harvest Family Radio, broadcasting beautiful, Bible-based programming and Christian music. And we are trying to serve the community with Music and messages that glorifies God and help people develop a heart for God. And we're glad you're with us. This episode 213 is, we are in year four plus of this show. And uh, we've enjoyed every single episode, every single broadcast. This live every Friday afternoon from 3 to 5 p.m. here at the studio. And every week we do all kinds of fun stuff, including, but not limited to, This Day in History, What's in my coffee? Stranger than fiction, idioms, the buck stops here, the news, and then we have just a little uh, ticky tacky uh, chit chat uh, about every little possible thing. Uh, ticky tacky, there's an idiom too. Yeah, I had yeah. to look that up because I had heard that. Of course, when they're talking about soccer, it's a, it's actually um, ticky tacky. A lot, yeah, ticky tacky, ticky tacky. Yeah. Yeah. Which is little short passing game and Barcelona stuff. Barcelona yeah. style. Barcelona yeah. style, yep. And yeah. so I believe the Harvest Boys play Tiki Taka. They do. Which is uh, Wow. Yeah. That's their that's the general idea. Like little triangles. Little triangles. Trying to keep yep. possession. Yes, exactly. All that. Wow. Yep. There you go. That's uh their head coach's philosophy, I believe. So now guys, uh we are still missing a key component to the show. We we Oh, sorry. Oh, you're on number three there. There you go. I'm not. I have no voice. Okay. Um, I can you know try and act for him. You I can try could. and act out his his role. What uh, what would you imagine um, Lawrence's um, voice to be mm, like? I don't know, man. <laughs> that does sound <laughs> a little trying, bit like him. <laughs> he sounds like a like an angry Lawrence, oh, but <laughs> he's, he kind of he's he talks like this, and he always says funny things. Well, funny well, thing is, right? <laughs> yeah. you know, it's you know what's really funny since Lawrence isn't here, it's appropriate for me to share some of the things. Last night, I just started writing down some of the funny things that Lawrence says. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So Lawrence is a lot like someone else I work very closely with. They make up phrases and mix metaphors right. and things. But right. Lawrence, his you know exactly what he means. He creates idioms. He is an idiom smith. Really? Yes. So this this is what he said to me last night. I wrote these down. I mean no okay. no kidding. Um random thoughts by Lawrence. He's gonna love me for doing this. Uh for example he says 
uh, you paint the pig every day. It's like you paint the pig every day. It's like you paint the pig. Yeah, every day? I, I think I think um, you know he basically was talking uh, about uh, making trying to make something look good every day, but it's just painting the pig. I, that's not a real idiom, but it made perfect sense in the context. Um, he also <laughs> used this phrase. He said, "You're just a dish rag getting wiped all over the place." <laughs> and I'm like. I know exactly what he means, but I don't think anyone's ever said that before. Uh, he's, uh, he said also, uh, that's Charlie Brown's teacher over there, where he was talking about someone wasn't listening to someone. He's like, oh, that's Charlie Brown's teacher over there. Hey, welcome to the show, Lawrence. Hey. That's perfect timing. Speak of the What's devil. Up? I, didn't, I didn't say the Pampers one, but I did uh, talk about painting the pig and the dish rag quote in uh, Charlie Brown's teacher. So... We were just, uh, because you weren't here, we, we had to fill the space with something. See, I thought that was going to be at least maybe a month or two. No, I couldn't wait. I no, just couldn't it hold it in. Four hours. It's like having a crisp $50 bill in my wallet. It just doesn't last. <laughs> it burned a hole. It just doesn't last. It literally burned a hole in my mind. So, hey, well, now you're here. Uh, welcome to the show, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Good to be here. Glad, glad you're here. And uh, I have nothing else uh, incriminating or embarrassing to say about oh, you. good. So I think this might be a good time for us just to go ahead and recognize that this segment's brought to us by Hebrews Worldwide Coffee Shop and Bookstore, the best little coffee shop on Guam, offering an endless variety of coffees, teas, baked goods, Christian music, books, and gifts, including the largest selection of Yankee candles and all of the Northern Marianas, except for anywhere else that they sell candles, because we don't really have that many on hand right now. But I do like it a lot. I go there every day. The Hub, Hebrews Worldwide Coffee Shop and Bookstore. It's really good. And they provided some drinks for us generously. I'm so afraid to turn this microphone now. Okay, there we go. And uh, my drink is hot. Now, for those of you listening at home or in your car, what we do is we get free drinks from The Hub. And then we try to give you a verbal description because there's no way you can smell it. There's no way you can see it. You can't taste it. But we try and describe it in a way that makes you want to go and purchase one of these. And so we've had these drinks for a while. Today they brought them early, and then we're doing it kind of late. So, so yeah. we can't describe the temperature or maybe even the consistency if the ice has melted a little bit. But my drink was hot. I mean, I think I have the only hot drink here. Mm, a little bit sweet, a little bit coffee-like. Um, boy, hard to tell. It's got a little froth on top, a little chocolate in there. I think it might be a, it might be a mocha. I think I might have a sugar-free mocha. That that would be my guess, a sugar-free mocha. Now, Chris, your drink's gone. You've had yours for yeah. a while. Wow. Yeah. Why don't you describe that for us? It was a, <laughs> it was a pink drink uh, that had a, a, like the same color as drink. my highlighter. Yeah, a blended drink, slightly fruity, but not not super sweet. Because you warned me that it might be super sweet. Mm-hmm. It actually wasn't. It was a, a little bit, um, almost a little tart, almost like um, a citrus sort of a, a flavor to it. I don't know which citrus flavor, um, but bordering on perhaps a grapefruit. And mm, it had a little bit of wow. the color of that. It's intriguing. I, I don't know if that's what it was, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying it had more of a, a tart taste to it. And very good. It was uh, refreshing because I was thirsty, and I immediately grabbed the one that looked as though it would be the most refreshing. Yes. And it was. And it was, as far as you can tell. Now, Sebastian, <laughs> as far as I could tell. you seemed a little 
Initially disappointed, yet the drink is three quarters gone, so you must have gotten used to it. Um, well, I am not too picky of a person, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, Great. And then, and then I started questioning, what is green tea made out of? Yes. And that is something I still don't understand. Mm-hmm. But it tastes like green tea mixed with milk. Mm. So it's and like a green nice, milk tea? A green ice, milk tea. Green milk with tea. Ice. Okay. An iced green milk tea. It's the same color as the really? the uh, leaves on the flowers on your shirt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's very, uh, very similar. <laughs> it, it's kind of a matchy-matchy. It's, it like, it's the color me. of an uh, um, like an Afghani turban, I think, would be the uh, color of that. Maybe a... An Afghani turban. A no, drink or my yeah. shirt. Oh. That yeah, sounds your, awesome. Your drink. Oh. Your drink. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A headdress of an Afghani uh, <laughs> goat herder. Yes. What? With a shade of green. Seriously, I've, I've, I've wore one of those for the international banquet. It was that same color. Yeah. Seriously. I remember that. There's All a right. name for it. Yeah, I can't remember what it is. Okay, now Lawrence, yours looks chocolatey and good, and you just stirred um, all the cream down into it. I did. I was that was <laughs> going to be one of my descriptions. Actually, um, is this drink is normally a little bit lighter brown than this. No coffee, no tea, just chocolate, just milk. Um, normally, we call it a hot chocolate, mm-hmm. but as we've heard, even you've told the story on this show. Your wife and another church member actually said we should have a uh, cold chocolate drink option. Yes. So this is uh, the chilled chocolate that I've been talking about. But the the twist today is when I got up here, it went from white whipped cream at the top down to the darkest of chocolates at the bottom. Mm. And it was almost like a science experiment. Yes. With, uh, One of those sediment Yeah, things? sedimentary yeah. Um, displacement. The or layers, whatever. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a good word that Taylor would be yelling right at, yep. as in Mr. Yep. Taylor. Yep. They teach it. <laughs> so I mix it all up, and basically now the whipped cream's in the chill, uh, chilled chocolate, and that's a pretty creamy good drink. Yeah, yeah. It, it looks great, actually. Mm-hmm. I had someone recently, uh, one of the ladies we work with, and if I could remember who it was, I would say their name right now just to give them credit for this. I asked them what they wanted to drink, and they said something like, to the effect, as I paraphrase, I would like one of those chilled chocolates, but hot. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> and as my, I had to kind of, you know, close my jaw. And then I said, do you mean like a hot chocolate? <laughs> and then I just started laughing yes. and I bought them a drink. I just don't remember who it was. When I remember. It's probably best. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's it, it might, they might not be as proud of that as I am. They're in witness protection. Yeah. Yeah. So now. Uh, today's topic, which Lawrence might have a distinct advantage because he is a history professor. Me, I watch a lot of History Channel. So, you know, Chris, he's lived in some historical places. <laughs> and you are going to take us through our topic of the day. Sebastian's, is the Declaration yeah. of Independence. Sebastian's going to take you through, yeah. Yeah. He's, so You said you, the audience you, doesn't know who you is. That's true. I'm pointing to you, but we don't have our live stream running. So, and we're, Right now, we're not even broadcasting over the air. We're only online right now because of the power outage. So hopefully, GPA will get us back on the air we soon. GPA. Actually, our, our, our engineer is working on it right now. He said he's working on working it. Working very hard. All right. Yes, thank you, engineer. Our topic is Declaration of Independence and Revolutionary yes. War. Yep, yep. All got of the above. It. Well, you know what? I've got it's trivia time. Blah, 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 blah. All right, random sound effects. Um, uh, I like that. You know, I like that. The way you do that, Lawrence. Blah, 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 if you if you twist this right here, we got some new microphone stands, and they're 
causing quizzical looks on yeah. people's faces. <laughs> I don't know. It's like those new uh, fidgety toys, but it's for it's yeah, a full on radio mic stand. Yeah, though. yeah. Just, so many yeah. angles. Now I didn't, I didn't find too many interesting trivia facts about the Declaration of Independence. So I went with Revolutionary War. That's stuff. fine. So totally fine. We will do the uh, multiple choice. You know, I'll start with Chris. We'll go around, um, and I will tell you if you are right. Okay. So, okay. listen closely. Question one. What are the two places that the shot heard around the world refer to? Lex- oh. A, Go ahead. Lexington and Boston. B, Lexington and Concord. C, Boston and Trenton. D, Concord and Trenton. B. 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 As in boy. Wow, you guys got that. I didn't get that. It's in the Battle of <laughs> you Bunker haven't heard Hill, of Lexington, buddy. Lexington and Concord. We could have told you that. two very near cities to each other. Yeah. Well, yes, but I... I love the uh, Freedom Trail up there in Boston. Have you yeah, got to do I've that? You walk that. the red I've brick? I've been to Boston. Oh, man, I love Boston. Yeah. Yeah, I've Boston never too. been there in the fall. No, I'm just kidding. I have been. <laughs> Right. I went there in the summer to it's, it's Bosox cool. game. Yes, that it's it's great. Fun. It's Boston's my favorite tourism city in America. Charleston oh. is mine. Oh. Yeah. Do you yeah. know why I, I was called the shot heard around the world? Is that the next question? No, I was just Oh. Well, it was because of what it meant. It's the first time a a mother country's um uh, I guess territory uh somewhere else in the world had ever fought back yeah uh in in type of war and conflict like that yeah and then so once that happened everyone was waiting to see what was going to happen next Mm. right it was a big deal there's been a couple of those similar i mean world war one was probably another one okay all right smarty pants Question number two. Yeah, I know this topic a little better. Is that than a compliment? I'll just be <laughs> that was a, that was a general that was a general statement. By the way. Okay. Good, um, thanks. Question two. Who was the British king during the war? Oh, George III. <laughs> I go. I go with whatever George Lawrence third, says yes. from here on out. You know basically. what? We're going to disqualify that because he answered incorrectly. Well, oh, he answered is? correctly, but oh. he did not go by the rules. And oh, don't go by the rules. Sorry. This, I'll, I'll hold you know what? No, little, Chris and Jared little, get a point. This is okay. A, this is a little Thank passive you. aggressive uh, game. Wow. No, no, no. Of I'm sorry. I have to abide by the rules. Or right, maybe just I won't, I won't do it again. Just hold it in for just a little longer. Yes. King George III was the third British monarch from the House of Hanover. So German. German. British. Question three. What system was used by the colonists to send messages to each other? A, writs of assistance. B, committees of correspondence. C, U.S. Postal Service. Or D, deliverance group. I, I'm going to go with A because that I, I sort of recognize that A phrase. Writ of assistance. That's, that's the only that I only because uh, I don't know what the answer to this is, but I sort of recognize A. Okay. I sort of recognize it. So you got A writs of assistance, B committees of correspondence, C U I US think Postal it's Service, or D. B mainly because it's another term like you're saying where you've heard it yeah. before, but exactly. it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, for that. of course. But of I'm course. gonna go with B. Yeah. I think Ben Franklin was the first postmaster general, so I'm having a hard time believing that they were using the US Postal Service before. Yeah. So but uh, you know what? I wanna be different and I wanna be rebellious like our early Forefathers, I will go with C, po- U.S. Postal Service. All right. Well, 
Lawrence is catching up now with you guys. It's ah. all tied up. <laughs> From oh. that point, he lost last That's round. <laughs> um, it's actually the B, Committees of Correspondence. Hmm. The colonists carried the messages on horseback to one another. Okay. Um, question number... Um, next question. How about that? Because I just, I, I, well, yeah, the thing is I crossed out question four because I was like trying to find the best ones. And so it's question five technically, but I'll just say next question. What was the location of a series of battles that became the turning point of the Revolutionary War? So the loca- location. Yes. Um, A, Trenton. B, Saratoga. C, Long Island. Or D, Yorktown. B, Saratoga. Mm. Yes. I'll say B2. Yes. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Trenton. Trenton is incorrect. It is Saratoga. So everyone but Jared gets a point. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) The series of battles won by the colonists proved that the American army could defeat the British and encouraged other, other European countries to consider helping the Americans in the Revolution. See, I thought they only played baseball down in Saratoga, Florida. (laughs) Uh, No, Saratoga, New York. Oh, Sarasota. Yeah, Sarasota. you're right, Sarasota. <laughs> Next question. America, re- America received foreign aid from what country? A, France, B, Sweden, C, Portugal, or D, Switzerland? A, France. 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 That is correct. That's what caused, almost caused another war after that. Yeah. Yep. France supplied military and financial aid and played a key but part. But France in was America also going to help the South in the Civil War, so. That's right. They got a picked them interestingly yeah (laughs) that is interesting okay question number nine some german mercenaries fought for the british what are they usually called a bavarians b hessians c hamburgers or d sicilian b b hessians hessians they're hessians um hmm let me think here krauts (laughs) uh yeah hessians um, Hessians. Hessians. Yeah, that yeah is sorry, Hessians. They're going to pronounce Hessians. It. That is correct. It is the Hessians. Hessians were known among the colonists to be ruthless and cruel. Uh, they were s- cynically hired out, out to Britain by petty German princelings. Princelings? I guess so. Mm, princelings. The, the later were quite happy to dice with their soldiers' lives for, mer- for money. Okay. Um, so we have Jared behind by one point. What? And then here we go. You mean they? They? I don't understand what you just said. Immediately. I don't either. All right. Oh, so okay. okay. Well, all right. As long really, as we're on the I same. I was trying page. to come to grips with. I was that hoping last that sentence. maybe you smart people could understand what the <laughs> sentence also said, but I nope. didn't fully understand nope. it either. So okay. All right. That's usually how I do things. I just kind of reiterate yep. what was said and hope that other people understood it. Okay. Uh, question. Last question. All right. <laughs> Is this one worth extra points? No. Okay. Well, then why? I'm gonna. No, I'm gonna probably get it wrong on purpose. <laughs> All right. Question. Unless I get it right. La- what was the last major battle of the American Revolution? A. Long Island. B. Ticonderoga. Ticonderoga. Like the pencils. Mm-hmm. C. Saratoga. The not Sarasota. Or Sammy Sosa? Sosa. <laughs> or D, Yorktown. D, Yorktown. Mm. Yeah, I would say Yorktown I well. basically, if Lawrence says it, in this case, if if it comes to guessing the drink of the day or <laughs> Revolutionary War history, I'm going to go with anything Lawrence says from here on out. Okay. That's Yorktown. A lot of pressure. Yorktown? Yorktown. 
I'm saying Yorktown, yeah. Wow. Yorktown is right. Yes. General Cornwallis. The score was Chris five, Jared three. Or four, sorry. You got that point there at the end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lauren, don't, Lawrence don't you forget five. It. This is like Lawrence, like it, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, you know, just dunking over a bunch of playground youths. <laughs> I didn't, it's just not I didn't the youths, topic. a bunch of youths. <laughs> hey, good job on that, Sebastian, by the way. The reason the Declaration of Independence, the Founding Fathers, and the Revolutionary <laughs> War are the topic of the day is because they just found a copy of the Declaration of Independence in England. Mm. And so I'm going to talk about that in a minute. You know, I neglected, though, to... Oh, it was a miss. I forgot. I, I might have had a gap in my memory. These people. I did not tell the people, what our, our listening audience, what we were drinking. And I know many of them are sitting by the speaker of their, you know, gramophone saying, please tell us. What in the world? RCA and Victor are both waiting. Uh, iced matcha latte with espresso. Ooh. You're not going to sleep until Sunday. With espresso. Mine is a sugar-free caramel latte. Number three, chilled chocolate. Again, his uh, perfect winning streak of picking drinks. Blended strawberry calamansi. Oh, strawberry and calamansi. Oh, I like that. I'm intrigued at that combination becoming grapefruit, but... It's yeah, it looks. I mean, you know, pink grapefruit. I yeah, can maybe see it's that. One of those mental things. Right? Yeah, your brain has to find a category to put it in. What's the green part? Why matcha. Is matcha is green tea. Green matcha tea. is green tea. Yeah, that is green tea powder, right? Oh. And so, yeah, it looks swampy, but it's very tasty. <laughs> so it does have a, a swampy, <laughs> a bit, a bit uh, bog-like over here. It does. It does. Like a like peat moss. Sound more delicious. Yes. Well. It is what it is. People that like matcha love matcha. <laughs> People that hate matcha water. hate it. <laughs> okay. So, all right. Now, it is uh, Friday, April 28th, and Lawrence has a little This Day in History for us, although he did just give us a little history lecture on the Revolutionary War. Let's uh, see what else he has in his bag of tricks. Lawrence? <laughs> yeah. Uh, on this day, we can start back. Uh, sorry, I just had lost it um, during that. during that. Great um, introduction. Yeah, the intro I got so... <laughs> Overjoyed to hear that. 1770, <laughs> British Captain James Cook, aboard the Endeavour, lands on Botany Bay in Australia. Um, Australia will play a pretty interesting role in the uh, late 17, early 1800s. Uh, it actually becomes their world prison uh, or their their global um, uh, what, what empire prison type thing. Basically, any debtor or any uh, thief, crook, mm-hmm. murderer. They yep. just send there. It was kind of like what Georgia was, speaking of Revolutionary Times. During the colonies, Georgia was kind of that down there in the Okefenokee Swamp. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. They would pay, send all the uh, uh, people with criminals, criminal records, I guess, down there. Pol- to I think they call them Georgia. pomies, right? Prisoners of Mother England or something like that. Pomies, yeah, pomies. Think, yeah. So anyways, Australia will later on become uh, the seventh continent and in, in country, but uh, at the time, it was a big old prison. 1818, U.S. President James Monroe proclaims naval disarmament on Great Lakes and Lake Champlain. This is shortly after the War of 1812, which was largely fought on the Great Lakes um, between um, the, let's see, English and and, um, Americans, I believe. And the French were kind of thrown in there a little bit. Canadians. It was kind of uh, Canada Americans was a was a French. British Commonwealth, right? So you had yeah. the Canadians, but then you had the French speaking. Yeah. Yeah. It's a 1934 FDR signs Homeowners Loan Act. Uh, this is one of his 
alphabet agencies that came along a little bit later, um, before World War One, but kind of during the repairment of uh, the crash, happened there in the early 1930s or late 1929. Uh, 1939, Hitler claims Germany-Polish non-attack treaty still in effect. Uh, of course, September 1st, he'll be invading Poland starting yeah. World War II, so this didn't last very long, but he proclaimed it on this day in history. I'm not sure why that's even in here, but it is. Um, 1951, Mohammad Mossadegh is elected prime minister of Iran um, by the parliament of Iran. Dwight D. Eisenhower is, resigns as supreme commander of NATO. At this time, I believe, I believe because I want to make sure I have my, no, he must have already been, um, president. When did he become president? I thought, was he both the Supreme Commander and president at the same time? After Truman. And Truman was president from 44 to 49 or 48. So maybe he was. Is a president the supreme commander of NATO? No. No. Okay, so I'm I'm kind of curious on the timeline. Yeah. He resigned from that, but I thought he was president in 50 to 54. Yeah. Maybe I'm off on that. <laughs> yeah. He you was, know what? He might okay. have resigned and then Named became supreme president. supreme commander of the Allied forces in Europe in December of 1950. Mm-hmm. So it was post-World War II. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's during the Korean War. Korean War, yeah. And then he became... Uh, let's see. Uh, Eisenhower was keenly aware, rather unique position he was in after the uh, NATO's only leader until Lord Ismay was appointed Secretary General in 1952. Ismay. So yeah, so he was in there for a few years and then became President of the United States. So huh. what was the year that he? 1952. Yeah. So when I think when he became President of the United States, then he stepped down. Yeah, that makes sense because if he became president. In yeah. July or he in stepped January. down as, uh, yeah, as the Supreme Allied Commander of Europe, May thirty first, nineteen fifty two, to launch successful campaign for the American presidency. So, yeah, okay. right around that time, nineteen sixty seven, Muhammad Ali refuses induction into the army, and he's stripped of boxing title. Yep, um, I wasn't alive for that, but that'd been pretty intense news back then. I'm sure. Uh, 1969, Charles de Gaulle. We've talked about him. I don't know. We bring him up about every other month, I think. Yeah. Uh, he resigns as president that? of France today. Um, I had the I had the world's biggest book of elephant jokes when I was a kid, and half of the jokes had to do with Charles de Gaulle. Yeah. Did anyone else have that? <laughs> I, no, I never had that. <laughs> I'm serious. So you know how in school, like even here, you can get scholastic books. Sure. And so one of the scholastic books available was the world's largest book of elephant jokes. It's a small okay. paperback book. Had it all the way until I was a teenager. And in the book, there were, I don't know, a couple hundred jokes. Yeah. And at least a couple dozen of them had something to do with Charles de Gaulle. Wow. Yeah. So That's Charles de Gaulle was kind of the the brunt of all the the jokes in the book. I don't know why a, they they were putting him down, or they what were, were putting they doing? him down. Well, or Man. he was like the the stooge, the stooge, you know, yeah. of any joke. Like, why did Charles de Gaulle, you know, stick his hands up in the air? Why did Charles de Gaulle? What what happened to Charles de Gaulle when he falls off the elephant? Whatever. It's I, like all these jokes. I don't know what he's known for. Is he known for some horrible thing or well, what? He was he was uh, he was in charge of the Vichy. Was he in charge of the Vichy government in France, uh, 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 history professor? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, it was basically the, the group in France that wasn't dominated by the Germans 
because the Germans pretty much came to the north, took Paris, and then started moving north of that towards England. And so Vichy, France, or Vichy, however you want to pronounce it, was the southern two-thirds, basically. Mm. Um, okay. 101 that, elephant jokes, by the way, for those listening at home. There you go. <laughs> it's, it's, it's real. He's it's got real. the cover. Yes. For us here. I have one last note. This is probably <laughs> not one about that, Charles de Gaulle. Not about Charles de Gaulle. <laughs> it's actually about Shrek the Sheep. Oh. Shrek the Sheep from Terra, New Zealand, is finally shorn live on TV after six years of avoidance. The fleece weighed 60 pounds. That's chainmail, <laughs> basically. Wow. That poor sheep. I, I, he probably could wow. jump up, you know, three feet, four feet in the air after that uh, experience. <laughs> But anyway, Shrek the Sheep shaved Shrek this day sheep. in history, 60 pounds shorn Good. off. Thank you for another <laughs> positive end to uh, this day in history. Of course. You don't have to always end on a negative. Yeah, I appreciate right. that. I we appreciate could have done that. the joke end, but I figured the sheep uh, no, was that's, better. This was better. Sure. This was better for sure. <laughs> sure well, sure. we're going to take a short break. We're going to see if we're back on the air. But those listening, you're listening online or you're listening to the podcast. So stick around. A little more live till five after this short break. back with a little more live till five i'm your host jared baldwin glad to have you with us it's 4 40 p.m on friday april 28th thank you to lawrence nagging gas sebastian basil dua chris harper and all of you listeners we do this because we assume there are people out there listening i really appreciate those listeners that text me during the show i had one listener offer a helpful suggestion he really liked when we played the uh, Bridge Over the River Kwai song the Colonel Bogey March and suggested that we play some other songs like that some other movie themes and I will try to do that for now Scotland the Brave some people really do not like bagpipe music me I kind of like it and it's a great way to get your teenagers out of bed. You just start playing Scotland the Brave in the hallway outside their door, and uh, they eventually all get out of bed from experience. Now, the topic of the day was Declaration of Independence. That is because of this article I read in Fox News. Someone sent this to me this week. Thank you to someone, whoever it was that sent this to me. April 24th, 2017, Harvard researchers were initially skeptical when a database project indicated that an extremely rare parchment copy of the Declaration of Independence 
was in a small records office in southern England. However, Harvard professor Daniel Allen and Emily Sneff, research manager to the Declaration Resource Project, tracked down the parchment manuscript and confirmed its authenticity. Sneff told The Guardian that the trail began when she was getting records together for a university database. I was just looking for copies of the Declaration of Independence in British archives, she said, adding that the listing of the UK's West Sussex Records Office was an unusual one because it described the document as parchment. The only other parchment copy of the manuscript is in the U.S. National Archives. The researchers dated the manuscript known as the Sussex Declaration to the 1780s based on the handwriting, spelling errors, and analysis of parchment style and preparation. The document likely once belonged to the third Duke of Richmond, the so-called radical Duke who supported the Americans during the Revolution, according to the experts. The Guardian reports that prior to the Harvard team investigation, the Sussex Declaration had not been closely examined. Officials had received the manuscript in 1956 from a local man who worked with a law firm representing the Dukes of Richmond. The parchment was likely produced in New York or Philadelphia. Researchers think it may have been commissioned by founding father James Wilson, one of his political allies, as part of the advocacy efforts on behalf of the federal constitution. Unlike the 18th century versions of the Declaration, the list of signatories on the Sussex Declaration is not grouped by states. Allen and Sneff think that this detail may reflect efforts by Wilson and his allies during the Constitutional Convention and ratification process to argue that the Declaration's authority rested on the unitary national people, not on the Federation of States. Uh, let's see here. The detail on Pursuit of Happiness, Sussex Declaration, you can see uh, when you look at a blow-up version of it, Pursuit of Happiness is really big there. On the Sussex Declaration, the phrase, the pursuit of happiness, is followed by a dash, not a period. However, the phrase, consent of the governed, is followed by a period. At 24 inches by 30 inches, the manuscript is the same size as the Matlick Declaration housed in the National Archive in Washington, D.C. The Harvard team is working with the Sussex Records Office, British Library, and Library of Congress to perform hyperspectral imagery analysis on the parchment. Hyperspectral imagery collects electromagnetic data. That's really cool. New discovery of Declaration of the Independence copy there. So as we... Talk about the Declaration of Independence and the Founding Fathers, kind of as our topic of the day. Wanted to just uh, touch on it a little bit, including a number of things, according to History.com, that you probably didn't know about the Declaration of Independence, including it was not signed on July 4th, 1776, according to History.com. On July 1st, 1776, the Second Continental Congress met in Philadelphia, and following a 12-day, 12 and 13 Let's see. Following day 12 of the 13 colonies, sorry, let's start over. On July 1st, 1776, the Second Continental Congress met in Philadelphia, and on the following day, 12 of the 13 colonies voted in favor of Richard Henry Lee's motion for independence. The delegates then spent the next two days debating and revising the language by Thomas Jefferson. On the 4th of July, Congress officially adopted the Declaration of Independence, but they did not sign it at that time. It, uh, let's see here. First, New York's delegates didn't officially give their support until July 9th. It took the next two weeks for the Declaration to be engrossed, written on parchment in clear hand. Most of the delegates signed on August 2nd, but several... Uh, let's see, signed on a later date. So wasn't signed on the 4th of July. Sorry for my reading errors there. It was confusing. More than one copy exists, which we just found out. Uh, let's see, after the adoption of the Declaration of Independence, the Committee of Five, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Ben Franklin, Roger Sherman, and Robert B. Livingston, 
was charged with overseeing the reproduction and approval uh, of the approved text. This was completed at the shop of the Philadelphia printer John Dunlap. On July 5th, Dunlap's copies were dispatched across the 13 colonies to newspapers, local officials, and commanders of Continental Troops. These rare documents, known as the Dunlap Broadsides, predate the engrossed version signed by the delegates. Of the hundreds uh, thought to have been printed on the night of July 4th, only 26 copies survive. Most are held in museums and library collections, but there are privately owned ones as well. When the news number three of the Declaration of Independence reached New York City, it started a riot. Uh, Another fact you might not know, eight of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were born in Britain. Uh, Let's see here. Number five, one signer recanted. I don't remember ever hearing this before. Richard Stockton, a lawyer from Princeton, New Jersey, became the only signer of the Declaration of Independence to recant his support of the revolution. On November 30th, 1776, the hapless delegate was captured by the British and thrown in jail. After months of harsh treatment and meager rations, Stockton repudiated his signature of the Declaration of Independence and swore his allegiance to King George III. A broken man, when he regained his freedom, he took a new oath of loyalty to the state of New Jersey in December 1777. Number six, there was a 44-year age age difference between the youngest and oldest signers. Ben Franklin was 70. Youngest was Edward Rutledge, lawyer from South Carolina, was only 26. And he narrowly beat out fellow South Carolinian Thomas Lynch Jr., who was only four months his senior. Two additional copies have been found in the last 25 years. The Declaration of Independence spent World War II at Fort Knox. And there's something written on the back of the Declaration of Independence. Did you know this? So there was a movie, National Treasure, kind of, kind of tried to imagine what might be on the back. But unfortunately... Uh, it's not quite like that movie. There is, however, a simple message written upside down across the bottom of the signed document. It says, Original Declaration of Independence, dated 4th July, 1776. No one knows who exactly wrote this or when, but during the Revolutionary War years, the parchment was frequently rolled up for transport. It's thought that the text was added as a label. So those are things you might not have known. Here's a list of the signers. You might be able to name five or ten at the most. George Reed, Caesar Rodney, Thomas McKean, George Clymer, Ben Franklin, Robert Morris, John Morton, Benjamin Rush, John, George Ross, hey, I know a George Ross, James Smith, James Wilson, George Taylor, John Adams, Samuel Adams, John Hancock, Robert Treat, Eldbridge Jerry, Josiah Bartlett, William Whipple, Matthew Thornton, Stephen Hopkins, William Ellery, Lewis Morris, Philip Livingston, Francis Lewis, William Floyd, Button, Gwinnett, Lyman Hall, and George Walton. Button, Gwinnett, also some uh, from Georgia, another person. Uh, let's see here. Richard Henry Lee, Francis Lightfoot, Carter Braxton, Benjamin Harrison, Thomas Jefferson, George Wythe, and Thomas Nelson Jr. William Hooper, John Penn, John Hughes, Edward Rutledge, Arthur Middleton, Thomas Lynch Jr., Thomas Hayward Jr., Abraham Clark, John Hart, Francis Hopkinson, Richard Stockton, John Witherspoon, Samuel Huntington, Roger Sherman, William Williams, Oliver Wolcott, Charles Carroll, Samuel Chase, Thomas Stone, and William Packa. So those are the signers. And there are some very interesting things about these signers, some pretty crazy stories about them, like um, according to... Ben Graham and Mental Floss. No one trusted Ben Franklin to write the Declaration of Independence. 
Thomas Jefferson and John Adams both died on the 50th anniversary of our nation's birth. They both died on July 4th, 1826. James Madison was the smallest president in history. He was only five foot four. They said he had a Napoleon complex, but he was actually two inches shorter than Napoleon. George Washington was idolized by Napoleon. Some other things you might not have known about the founding fathers. Some founding fathers had very strange names for their beloved pets. John Adams had a dog named Satan. Washington had dogs named Sweet Lips, Scentwell, Vulcan, Drunkard, Taster, Tippler, and Tipsy. Uh, let's see here. Thomas Jefferson owned two grizzly bears that he kept in cages on the lawn outside the White House. And uh, let's see here. Some weird things about Ben Franklin as well. If you ever read his bio at all, you'll you'll come across a lot of strange things about that guy. But uh, a founding father nonetheless. Now, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I think we're going to have a little bit of time to talk about... What's happening at Cedarville, Cedarville University? We have a number of folks here on Guam that are graduates of Cedarville. I want to talk a little bit about something I think is sounds pretty positive. We'll read you the article, and you can tell me what you think. Go on our Harvest Family Radio Facebook page. Leave me a message. Let me know that you're listening, and let me know what you think about the show. You can always find us on khmg.org. You can contact us through that. You can download the podcast. I'm your host, Jared Baldwin. It is 4.51 p.m. on Friday, April 28th, if you're listening to the live broadcast. If you're listening on Saturday or Sunday, that's because we rebroadcast the show in its entirety. And although we're having a little technical difficulty with some of the power issues here on Guam at this time, we will rebroadcast the show in its entirety. So stick around a little more live till 5 after this short break. God, walk with me, walk with me, Lord, God, walk with me, while I'm on this old tedious journey, I want Jesus to walk with me. And we're back with the last few minutes of Live Till 5. I'm your host, Jared Baldwin. 4.55 p.m. on this Friday, April 28th, if you're listening to the live broadcast. Again, you can tune in Saturdays, noon to 2, Sunday night, 7 to 9 p.m. Catch us on the rebound. Here's an interesting article from Christianity Today. Whatever is pure, Cedarville requires professors to apply Philippians 4.8. And then the subtitle of the article is Faculty Pushback Against Stricter Standards Keeping Curse Words, R-Rated Movies, and Sexual Content out of their curricula. And I'll just read the first paragraph or two and then the summary. This spring, Cedarville University acted enacted new curriculum guidelines inspired by Philippians 4.8 and aimed at purifying coursework of erotic and graphic content. Cedarville is a buttoned-up Baptist school with a 130-year Christian history. It's not the kind of place where professors assign you know, all kinds of novels and things like that to read. But administration wants to err on the side of caution. This means, for example, that they now an R-rated movie like Schindler's List cannot be shown in its entirety, nor can students put on plays that include swear words. In its biblically consistent curriculum policy, nicknamed for the Apostle Paul's admonishment 
to Christians in Philippi, Cedarville has spelled out new guidelines officially barring any material that will be, quote, may be considered adult in nature that represent immorality and may be a stumbling block to students, end quote. The move comes as the Ohio School, located between Columbus and Dayton, unfolds a broader campus-wide campaign to double down on its biblical identity. At a time when fellow Christian colleges are looking to defy narrow evangelical stereotypes and compete with secular schools, Cedarville is instead deepening its conservative Christian distinctions. When they heard about the Philippians for a policy through department chairs and town hall meetings last month, faculty in in the disciplines most impacted by the restrictions, which cover movies, plays, art, and texts, were frustrated. So were the small group of students who got their hands on the copy of the 1,500-word policy. They wondered, why were these new rules necessary? How would they be applied? The article goes on. I encourage you to read this article from Christianity Today and uh, draw your own conclusions. But the last uh, few sentences here in the article from Christianity Today. At Cedarville, Mock said the new policy, this is someone speaking for the school, offers guidance for professors, clarity for parents, and consistency for students who are encouraged to be discerning in their personal entertainment choices. This is much more leeway than when Mock was at Cedarville in the 80s and students were not permitted to go to movie theaters at all. He continues, what some of the most critical Cedarville faculty view as censorship, administrators see as a push for transparency about the priorities of the campus and its direction. The final quote here says, we all recognize there's a line. We just disagree over where that line is sometimes, end quote. And the article talks about how they have faculty members and students that really are pushing back hard against these these changes. I applaud Cedarville University for drawing the line. As an institution, they need to set the standard. Uh, they, They are communicating what their values are. And I appreciate that they're drawing a line right back to Scripture, Philippians 4, 8. What's where things are pure? I think that's a great policy. And so kudos to Cedarville. You might disagree. I'd encourage you to read the article. But it's a biblical institution. They have every right and should have high standards. And uh, people might have their own personal standards outside of that. They're not saying that's the, the uh, standard you're going to live with your whole life. But as an institution, they have to draw the line somewhere, as every Christian institution has to. So I appreciate their, um, their willingness to try and hold the line biblically. And that's all the time we have for Live Till 5 today. It is Friday, April 28th, and I'm Jared Baldwin, your host. I've enjoyed this two hours of the program. Catch us on khmg.org. Listen to the podcast. Listen to us live on Saturdays and Sundays, noon to 2, 7 to 9 p.m. Catch us on The Rebound. You're listening to Live Till 5 on 88.1 FM, KHMG, Harvest Family Radio, Bear God of Guam. Have a great weekend.